Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbert. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a Doctor, but I am... I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch On podcast. We're back, Harry. It's us. Hello. Hello. Um, a little different um, setup this week. If for some reason it doesn't sound as good as normal or as bad as normal. That's because we had some problems with Zoom, so we're qu- trying to be inventative. More specifically, we had week. a problem with my Wi-Fi. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I was taking credit for that. It wasn't? <laughs> it wasn't yeah, my fault. This is my fault. <laughs> for once. Um, here we go. Doctor Who, don't stop, never stop rocking. Doctor Who news all the time. I'm still doing the catchphrase. Uh, lots of news. First thing I'm going to mention is um, that. I mentioned it last week in like the mist of all the craziness that went on. William Grantham, the creator of the Absorbaloff, also known as what, Harry? Uh, Channel Pup. Yeah, he came onto the show and we got to talk to him about creating the Absorbaloff. Um, that'll go out sometime around when Love and Monsters goes out, I imagine, during that week. So you'll be able to check that out in five weeks' time, I want to say. Sometime around then. Also, if you're on the YouTube channel and for some reason some of the YouTube videos don't seem to be there, I listed a fair few of them, but they're still available for, for, for they're still available through playlists. So you can Why still is get it you them unlisted there. them? Some of them just looks random, and some of them only had like eight views, like the really oh, early so ones. So to uploaded. make the channel look better. Yes, and also on the last uh, last couple of podcasts for series two anyway I've added chapters I worked out how to do that so I was able to add chapters oh neat brilliant I was saying that'd be yeah. good yeah um, lots of news this week lots of fun exciting news uh, let's start off with probably what caught a lot of people's attention early on Russell T Davies um, a very early script by him is being adapted into a big finish story yeah, I remember I saw him tweeting about this. It must have been like a month or two ago saying that he'd found it and he was kind of sharing a couple of pages from it. Yeah, I think it was originally from a watch-along, you know, like the tweet-along stuff they've been doing on Twitter. Yes, yes, I think that was it, yeah. I, I, I'm not honestly sure what the episode was for, but I know he found it, tweeted it out, and then basically, obviously, Big Finish have got in touch and they're going to be adapting a Russell T. Davies early Doctor Who story into a... Uh, Big Finish Adventure. My question is, though, is what Doctor do you think it's going to be? That's a question. Um, my understanding of the story is that he wrote it with the intention of it being made for the TV show at the time. So I imagine yeah. it would have been either Colin Baker or Sylvester McCoy's Doctor it was intended for. Yeah. Um, Unless he wrote back for, to his childhood. I'm not sure. I, I feel like that he wrote it with the intention of kind of submitting it to the BBC for it to be made into a TV episode. Well, that's interesting. So, it could, yeah, so it could be Colin, and then again, if depending on what Big Finish's upcoming schedule looks like, it could actually be adapted to a different Doctor, I'm, uh, I guess. Yeah. All that I really know about the episode is that it eventually, I think through quite rigorous redrafts and changes, became... Eventually, the long game. 
Oh, uh, God. <laughs> I know, neither no. of us are massive fans of the long game, but for all we know, maybe the initial draft for the episode has some interesting stuff going on, or maybe a more streamlined structure. Who knows? Originally wrote in 1985, it was originally wrote, so he probably went and saw Back to the Future. Who was the Doctor in 1985? I'll have a look. Who was Doctor Who in 1985? It was Colin Baker. Right, so it would have been a Colin Baker story. It would have been. Um, I'm just trying to find his tweet, because he put out a little tweet with it on, but I can't find it. Oh, well. Um, moving on, other Russell T Davies news. Um, he wants to see Doctor Who sort of evolve into sort of an MCU-type um, layout. Does he? Yeah, he mentioned that he thinks there's all these characters and all these different worlds that it's quite restricting just to have just the main show, which I guess is quite true, because when he was in charge, we had Torchwood... Sarah Jane um, Adventures. Sarah Jane Adventures. Yeah. Obviously, there have been a lot of spin-offs throughout the years. Obviously, kind of Sarah Jane and Torchwood are kind of the most successful ones. I know. Did Stephen Moffat create Class? Um, I honestly couldn't say. I don't know who created Class. Class was definitely during his run. so It was, but I don't know if how much yeah. involvement he had with it. Hmm. But then and again, then, that course, didn't really work. Chibnall era... <laughs> There are no um, spin-offs of any kind. Um, no, it'll be fun. I know there's been a few cancelled spin-offs, so it would be cool to sort of have a look into shows that actually never even made it to air. Yeah, because it's when he says something I... like um, MCU scale, obviously the MCU is more than just kind of like a handful. It's not just kind of Iron Man, Captain America, and say Thor. There's like so many different branching shows. And is that what Russell has in mind? Does Russell want just, like, a whole TV network's worth of Doctor Who programming? I'm not sure. Maybe he's just, like... The example I always go to is Jenny. Like, how cool it would be to see Jenny again. And oh, for her yeah, to have course. her own adventures. And then, see, so you could have Jenny, Torchwood, you could have catch-up with, uh, with Sarah Jane's friends, you know, Luke, Clyde, Rani... Um, and then yeah, I, I know, guess I remember at one if point you really wanted, you could saying, then bring back classic doctors and give them their own adventures as well. I was about to say, I remember at one point, I think kind of around um, either an adventure in space and time or twice upon a time, or maybe both people were saying they'd quite like um, David Bradley to be in a series just playing the first doctor and a bunch of first doctor yeah, adventures. That'd be great. Yeah, especially when you look at the Eighth Doctor as well. Give him like a limited run series, like a mini series. Although, of course, I guess uh, there's always the argument that if you want that kind of expanded universe, that's what Big Finish is for. Because kind of everything we've just said, you can probably, well, you can definitely find and more with Big Finish audio dramas. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, definitely. But I do. I think one reason we probably won't see something like that is just BBC budget probably won't allow it. Yeah, I feel like unless unless Doctor Who maybe got back to the heights that it was at during the Tenant era, I don't think the BBC would even consider doing anything like that anytime soon. Yeah. 
Uh, I've got a quote here from Russell. He says, there should be a Doctor Who channel now. You look at all these Disney announcements and all these Star Wars and Marvel shows and you think well, uh, we should be sitting around here the, uh, the return of Donna Noble and you should have the 10th and 11th Doctor together in a 10-part series. Genuinely. Those examples are rubbish, but I think I know what he means. Are those the examples that Russell gave? Yeah, the return of Donna Noble. The quite pine. It's the sky. a comedy. It's just hair walking around London, just missing everything. <laughs> Wait, are these are these Russell's ideas or just like people online? That's Russell. That's a quote from Russell. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, talking of things returning, a lot of the news we've got this week is returning. Um, did you catch that fun little trailer with Sylvester McCoy? Yes, I did. That was very, very. I liked that a lot. It was great, wasn't it? For those who haven't seen it, it's um, they're bringing out Series 24 remastered Blu-ray DVD and all that. And for the fun trailer that they released online, the Doctor is reunited with Melanie Bush. And by that, we actually mean they actually got Sylvester McCoy, put him in his original Doctor Who outfit, stuck him in front of the camera, and he was the seventh Doctor again. And it was as if nothing had changed. Hmm. I mean, obviously, like, you look at a Doctor such as... um an act like Colin Baker, and you put him back in the costume, it doesn't quite work, but other than the fact, you know, he's got a few wrinkles, Sylvester McCoy still very much looks like the Seventh Doctor. It works. Oh, 100%. I would love to see him return. Sylvester McCoy and Jodie Whittaker, that would be amazing. Mm, Yeah, I mean, and he's still got it. Like, he was full of energy, he was playing with spoons. The only (laughs) thing that makes me think it won't happen is that you kind of get this trend, or at least I notice it, that the BBC don't seem to hold classic Doctors to the same esteem as the modern Doctors, with the exception of uh, Tom Baker. Yeah. Well, when they did Day of the Doctor, they originally wanted... Um, Moffat originally thought, well, if we can't have Chris, we'll have um, Paul McGann. And the BBC were like, no. You promised us, you promised us the Olympics of Doctor Who, so you've got to come up with something. But I think a lot of fans would have... John Hare's amazing, don't get me wrong. But I feel like if you asked people at the time, do you want Paul McGann to return or do you want a new Doctor to sit between the two? What do you want? More people would have said, I'll have Paul McGann back, please. Yeah. Well, because Paul McGann was kind of done dirty. You know, kind of he entered the series at kind of not the best time with the TV movie that didn't do well enough in the West for it to go anywhere. And I... And then he saw him in Night of the Doctor, and he was like, great. And he's a brilliant screen presence. And, yeah, you know, it, it also screws up the canon less to just have it be Paul McGann. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, don't know, I, I don't know why they don't think people want that. Because I know kids... Well, well it's, I hate it when I say that, I know kids. It's such a weird thing. But, like, I know a kid, and his favourite Doctor is Christopher Eccleston. And this kid's probably about seven. So he wasn't even born when Eccleston was Doctor Who. And to him, Eccleston will be a classic Doctor. So he's probably going to be more than aware who Paul McGann is. So bring Paul McGann back. I mean, I mean, if you think about like kids, talking about like kids watching a show, I feel like they don't really care about how you know famous or well-regarded the actor playing the Doctor is. Like The Doctor is the Doctor. I think to a kid... All actors who've played the Doctor are held in the same quite high regard, you know? Yeah. 
It's only when you get to our age and sort of interesting media perks that you suddenly start thinking, okay, well, they wouldn't do it because they're too famous, or why would they do it? Nobody knows who they are. But to a kid, it's like, who's Matt Smith? Who's Like, when Matt Smith was announced, I had no idea who he was because I was too young to sort of know. But by the time Peter Capaldi came around, I, I was rooting for him as a doctor. I was like, I want Capaldi. And then when Whittaker came around, I obviously knew who Jodie was because of Broadchurch and... Yeah, so, but now I feel like when you're a kid, you don't care. You don't care the calibre of the actor. Yeah, it's the new care. doctor. It's the next doctor. It's, exci- it's yeah. exciting whoever it is. Um, another possible return, well, not confirmed by the BBC, but she has said she would 100% love to return to play the role of Sally Sparrow, is Carrie Mulligan, um, who we only ever saw once in Blink. Um, as the amazing Sally Sparrow. Um, she was recently asked if she would return to Doctor Who and she said she would love to return to play Sally Sparrow. I mean, you know, the Weeping Angels are coming back in Series 13. Um, I mean, obviously, seeing as that episode's already in production, she probably won't be appearing as Sally Sparrow, but actually, wouldn't that be great if, like, <laughs> Sally Sparrow kind of, after the events of Blink, kind of went on this whole Weeping Angel hunting escapade and had all those adventures and then they meet up with a doctor and they're like doctor you have to help me there are angels that'd be a great way to reintroduce her it'll be great i also like the idea i don't we spoke about it last week where we said about steve and moffat and russell returning how this you said it last week this will be the first weeping angel story to not be written by steve and moffat but how do we know that how do we know that Stephen Moffat hasn't written this episode? I mean, that would be insane, yeah. wouldn't it? If the, like, yeah, if they just announced we, it, we turn on the thing and it says by Stephen Moffat. Yeah, it would be amazing. Um, another bit of news we got is the big finish. They have done some other work with the Cybermen. Um, this is um, from Nerd Varna. This March, Big Finish Productions is adapting the original scripts that were, um, of what became the 1975.2 story Revenge of the Cyberman as Return of the Cyberman, a full-cast audio drama starring Tom Baker, reprises his role of the fourth Doctor, and Sadie Miller, standing in for her late mother, Elizabeth Sladen, as uh, Sarah Jane Smith. Today, the BBC released a trailer and such and such. So what the Big Finish have done is they have got the original script for a... Ah, I've clicked on a thing, now I can hear the trailer. Ooh, I did not like that. Uh, the BBC had a script for a Cyberman story. It was then heavily adapted into a new story. Big Finish have got their hands on the original story and they're turning that into an audio drama. What do you think of that? It depends on how different that original script is. Because if it's yeah. only kind of got a few differences for curiosity's sake then I can't help but feel that it probably isn't worth adapting but if that original mm. draft is wildly different in lots of ways then yeah sure I'm all for it Big Finish is a cool I way to kind fun. of archive those things and kind of bring them to life in a new way yeah no, I agree and I think it's fun to sort of go what if what would have happened if that had happened? Like Chris with um, Doctor Who. The amount of people who go, what if he was in Day of the Doctor? Maybe one day we might get to see that original script and it will be, uh, you know, published and we might actually get to see it. But who knows until then? I feel especially with a show as expansive and with so many kind of logistics of kind of casting and writing as Doctor Who, what ifs 
are especially fun because really the possibilities are endless. You have all of space and all of time. You can just what if it to the end of you know days. <laughs> the end of days. That just I, am I was going to say the end of time, so but I already said time in that sentence, and I was like, hmm, <laughs> no, I want this to be a more interesting sentence. <laughs> um, I was gonna. Uh, I'll tell you what we could talk about. Slightly weird, you know, Barry. Uh, you know, Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. Barry Gibb. I mean, I know of the Bee Gees. Yeah, well, he's uh, hinted that he uh, once had sex in the TARDIS on the night he met his wife. I'm going to need a bit more information, Tim. Barry Gibb has hinted that he had sex in Dot in the Doctor Who TARDIS the night he met his wife. The Bee Gees singer um, connect, uh, connected with his model, uh, met his model um, at the BBC. I'm just trying to find... We saw each other across the room and something happened. And um, we had a bit of a cuddle in Doctor Who's TARDIS, surrounded by Daleks. Bit weird, isn't it? It, it's a fun story. Is that <laughs> does that count as Doctor Who news? Uh, well, I googled Doctor Who and it appeared. <laughs> so sure, I, was I like, mean, yeah, we'll, we'll I feel on. like you know, for all of these news bits, you'd be like, "So, Harry, what do you think of this?" But uh, there's not really anything to say about that, is there? So, Harry, what not do really. you think? Well, I think that Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees had sex in the TARDIS. Does that mean that yeah, should... Does that mean that Barry Gibb and his future wife's kid is like River Song, where they've got like TARDIS energy? I don't know. I don't really want to think about it. It's a bit weird. Barry um, Gibb. I did have um, another bit of I did... child Sorry, can regenerate. I was just going to say. I just said I did... the child of Barry Gibb can regenerate. Into what? Extra Gibb. I don't know. Into River Song. Into Ooh. Alex Kingston. I... Uh, I did have some more news, but I can't find it because the link to the sun has been taken down, and it was that Jodie uh, Whittaker would be sta- Jodie Whittaker would be staying as um, she would be staying on as Doctor Who, but they've taken the link down, and I can no longer access the news. I can read you the headline. Uh, if okay, I what was the headline? That she'd be staying on just- and not. Yeah, that she she would be staying on as Doctor Who. I'm just trying to find it now. Uh, Jodie Whittaker won't quit Doctor Who as rumours exit blasted as total nonsense by Series 13 Insider. Okay. I mean, if that is the case, then a lot of our videos are going to soon become real outdated. <laughs> oh, I've got all those Red Circle PNG files. What am I going to do with them? It's fine, it's fine. When she actually does and she's stepping down, we can just make even more speculation videos and just do the same content again. I can. I'll just upload the same videos. Chris Marshall, Richard Ayoade, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and so on. <laughs> um, I'm all out of news. You got any news, Harry? Like, in my life? No, Doctor Who news, really. Tim, you there? Yeah. Like, what kind of news do you want from me? Like, news news? Like, what's going on in Harry's life news? Not really. I don't think anyone really is interested in that. Mainly Doctor Who news. 
Um, I could make up some Doctor Who news. Go for it. Um, Karen Gillan, in an interview upon asking about um, her thoughts on the new series of Doctor Who, said, Lamau, I don't watch that shit. I'm not a nerd. (laughs) Of course, um, I'm only paraphrasing. Uh, Karen Gillan said it in a Scottish accent. Uh, I think you can do that. No, no, I don't. I don't feel like my Scottish accent is up to scrub yet. Nope, do it. You gotta do it now. Otherwise, we're stalling for time. So, I mean, is it? Can we not have a new segment that's just twenty minutes long, like a reasonable time, or is that does that not fly on um, bigger on the inside? No, we are going to wrap this one up. I'm, I'm going to straight up apologise. This new segment today, guys, has been almost appalling. Um, I imagine the audio is shocking. It, you might n- never actually It was better than last week. Do... No, this has been rubbish compared to last week. Um, I last might week do was a, like delirium. Like... <laughs> yeah, but I can hardly hear what you're saying. This is how bad it is. Oh, right. Well, you know, I'll send... Um... I've got a USB mic up recording onto my laptop, so ah, I guess I can true. send we that to you that once well. we're done. We do have yeah. that, so you might hear this. Who knows? Um, I was really hoping we could have talked some more about Jodie Whittaker staying on, but unfortunately the link's gone down. If it goes back up, we'll um, get our red circles out and we'll do an extra little video on that, I, I'm guessing. Um, so do you want to segue into Girl in the Fireplace, Harry? Yeah, um... How to segue into Girl in the Fireplace? I don't know about you, Harry, you know, but it's Tim... rather cold in my flat. Oh, is it, Tim? Yes. Maybe you should light a fire in your fireplace. Do you have a fireplace? I do, but there's a small girl sitting inside of it. Should I set her alight? You want to set a girl alight in your fireplace? Well, there's a girl in the fireplace. Ah, I did it. Enjoy it, everybody. Shut up. Shut up. Shut it up, pop up. This is a command from the Daleks. All listeners are demanded to subscribe to our Patreon. Subscribe or you will be exterminated. Seek, locate, subscribe. Oh, that was uh, that was really sad news. What we just talked about there, wasn't it, Harry? Really, really sad news. Yeah, man, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Who would have? Uh, I didn't think Sylvester McCoy had it in him to do something like that, but I guess you don't really know a guy until. Yeah. Anyway, I'll try and. Banks was it? Uh, Three banks. I think it was more than that. I lost count after the six. Yeah. It's the children I feel sorry for. Mm. Yeah, the orphanage is like completely broke now. Uh, well, let's try and lift our spirits by talking about Doctor Who Series 2, Episode 4, which is called what, Harry? The Girl in the Fireplace by Stephen Moffat. Who? Uh, 
I don't know. Um, I think he's written for the show before. He's a guy. Uh, yeah, we're going to do Girl yeah. in the Fireplace, Series 2, Episode 4, written by Stephen Moffat, starring David Tennant as the Doctor and Sophie Miles, or Males, I believe her surname is, as Madame de Pompadour. Uh, Pompadour or Pomp... How do you pronounce it? Um, Madame de Pompadour? Yeah, same yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, Seth... Yeah. I, mean, I always called her Madame Poppadom. Yeah, that's what I suddenly realised when I said it. I was like, I don't want to be saying that. Um, really good episode. Really enjoyed it. Um, it's Stephen Moffat, last time we saw him, was The Empty Child of Dr. Dances. So it was really nice to see another episode of that. There were some similarities with that, which, I've, which I drew from, which I'll come to later. But what did you think, Harry? Well, um, <laughs> I... I... I don't know. Um, every time I watch this episode, I just I don't know what to make of it. Oh, I don't really? hate it by any means, no. But it it like it's got a lot of really clever ideas and like a lot of great set pieces, a lot of really good bits of writing. For some reason, the whole thing doesn't connect with me though. I don't I don't know why that is. Maybe that's tra- we'll that's figure true. it out. Because this is normally like a fan favorite episode, isn't it? This is one that people really enjoy, Girl in the Fireplace. Yeah, but this this is the one Moffat episode from the RTD era, which for some reason just doesn't land with me. And I hmm. I can't figure out why. I just can't. Okay, well, maybe I'm, it's... Sorry, go on. I, I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> so um, I really liked the opening of this episode, the pre-title sequence. I saw in Confidential, Moffat said... Every two minutes, he really wanted people to sort of regain interest. And I think he does do that by the op- the pre-title sequence. You're like, what's going on? Then we're on a spaceship. Then we're in France. Then we're back on a spaceship. Then there's a horse. Now she's old. Now there's clockwork droids. Now there's a brain in a spaceship. There's something every two minutes that keeps you coming back and keeps you asking more questions. Um, we may as well get it out of the way. Mickey Smith, his first proper trip in the TARDIS. He's loving it. He's, He's great, great, isn't he? Time. Yeah. Um, I really like it, it when he gets out. When he gets out the time, he says, "I got a spaceship on my first go." <laughs> like it was like a lottery what he would get. <laughs> He's yeah. like, can't believe how lucky he is. And then there's that scene they as could well. Have very easily. Yeah, go on. They could have very easily gone the route of him being like overwhelmed and like kind of hating it and missing home, but they don't. They kind of let him really enjoy it and breathe and kind of just. It's just nice. It's refreshing. It's, yeah, I, I like. We've been very open about how much we like Mickey's a character. So if Mickey's having a good time, then I'm having a good time. You know. I also feel like maybe he's not overwhelmed because he's somewhat numb to some alien life. Has he mm-hmm. met Slavine? He has. He's met killer yeah. Christmas trees, killer Santas. He he met the Sikorax. He went on their spaceship. So he's done a fair amount of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. I really like the scene where he's got the uh, the gun and he does a little roll down the stairs and he's like looking around. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's quite strange following on from School Reunion where Rose is quite apprehensive about Mickey joining, but she doesn't seem to mind that much in this episode. I mean, no, maybe Rose is kind of bracing herself for kind of him to be kind of dragging, dragging at his feet for him to be kind of moping. Yeah, but maybe kind of it took a maybe she was pleasantly surprised by the fact that Mickey was kind of all into all this space stuff now. 
yeah, because um, oh, I completely forgot what I was about to say. Oh, because maybe the element of the story with the doctor being wooed by Madame de Pompadour that he's she sorry she's sort of maybe not jealous but she sort of understands that there even though there is a romantic interest between the two of them she still has Mickey. Yeah, <laughs> not to fall back. Yeah, not to uh, not to diss Mickey. Um, I also, uh, jumping ahead a little bit to the end of the episode where, um, we'll come back to it later, where Madame de Pompadour dies, um, I think that reflects quite well on what the Doctor said in School Reunion to Rose, where he said to Rose that he he can't travel with Rose forever because she'll die. And we you literally see that happen in this episode over the course of 45 minutes. He meets someone new, falls in love, and then they die. Yeah. One thing I have to actually commend this episode for, which is that the fact that this episode leads on from school reunion really quite neatly, um, mm. which could surprise me because both episodes are written by completely different writers and neither of them are written by Russell T. Davis, but they've been kind of put together in a way that one leads quite naturally into the other. Yeah. So just in a whole kind of head writing, compositional series structure thing, I think that was really impressive. Yeah. Okay, so if we go back to the start of the episode, it reminds me a little bit of when we spoke about the Unquiet Dead with their uh, um, historical costumes. I think the way they depict mm. 51st century France is really good. It looks... Mm. Pre- I, obviously, I wasn't there, so I can't say. But it just looks really appealing. And I think as a kid when I first watched this, I didn't find it boring. The fact that it was set in the past and people were wearing these big costumes and wigs and... Because if you were to show a kid that, they might be slightly bored by it. But I think it's a testament to Stephen Moffat's writing that it manages to keep you interested, even though a bulk of the episode is quite historical. Mm, yeah. I mean, he kind of... Moffat would never, is never one to just kind of settle for a historical period. Kind of, This is kind of the first glimpse we get into Moffat's um, time-travelling shenanigans. Where... Yes. Quite unlike any other Doctor Who writer I can think of, Moffat really likes to play with those time travel conventions. Yeah, kind he of... does. So here we've got like a ship that has like gateways into the past, but then the way that the time in the past passes is faster than it passes in the future. Yeah. And it gave me a little bit of a headache trying to figure out how exactly <laughs> it worked. Like, when you're in the past, does part time in the future pass really slowly, or does it pass at the same rate? Like when you're looking for a window or a mirror into the past, yeah. they are both seeming to be going at the same time. So is it only when you're looking at the past that? Yeah, because sometimes I think that would, might be part. Yeah. He would be away from the from the fireplace for about five seconds, and he'd come back and be like thirty years later. And sometimes he'd be gone for like a minute and a half, then he'd come back, and it'd only be a few weeks. So I think maybe that's just a. a, a if you were if you were really going to be picky <laughs> looking to it, you could pick holes in the time travel element. But all in all, I think it's an interesting yeah. idea. Um, the scene where he's looking at the young Madame de Pompadour through the through the fireplace at the start of the episode. My understanding is that when you travel in the TARDIS, it translates any foreign language into English for you to understand. Mm. So yeah. why So why do when we're speak when we're seeing young Madame de Pompadour talk? Does she speak perfect English with a French, with a slight French accent, 
but then say the odd French word like monsieur. Um, I guess it's just <laughs> to give a bit, I guess kind of similarly to the time travel, you kind of have to have a little suspension of disbelief with this episode and Moffat's writing. And I guess that's just kind of to make her language a bit more characterful. Maybe it's as well to tell the audience they're speaking French. Because if Mickey just went, yeah. she's speaking French when she's actually speaking English, but by just adding Monsieur at the end, it it reminds us that we're in France. Absolutely. And I feel like Monsieur, I don't know, I feel like there's probably some quirky British people who say the word Monsieur. Oh yeah, they wear bowler hats though. And, and <laughs> Monsieur, they, yeah, they're weirdos. <laughs> I feel like you like know someone specifically I feel like who I wears a bowl do. hat and calls people monsieur. No, but I feel like we I could depict him. He probably carries a flute around as well. <laughs> Are you sure this isn't like a leaked uh, 14th Doctor? <laughs> I, <laughs> that wouldn't be bad. Um, I really like the scene as well where the Doctor just makes up a word because he doesn't want to say magic door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a really... That's the thing, I guess, like... It's kind of to the script zone and the Doctor's admission that we they don't entirely get how this time travel thing is working, but just just go along with it. Yeah. I uh, think that's kind of what you've got to do. Yeah, what do you think to the clockwork droids then? The I thought they were very cool designs. They um, are, aren't they? Like the way they take off the masks and like you see all like the clockwork like insides of the brain i thought that was really cool kind of a little i want to say steampunky but it feels a bit more specific than just steampunk yeah this was the only episode yeah. as a kid that i ever remember doctor who actually scaring me this is the only time Did you find them scary yeah it wasn't so much that i found them scary it's that sequence where he first meets one of them under the bed oh and, yeah and the hand just jabs out like that and I knew it, and I remember that scaring me as a kid. And I remember watching it going, oh, this used to really crap me, make me crap myself as a kid. And then it happened about half an hour ago as I'm watching it, and it caught me out again, <laughs> like 15 years I mean, later. And I went, look. Oh. <laughs> I know that's something that Moffat's kind of gone on record saying, like, he really likes to do. He really likes to kind of exploit, like, children's, like, basic fears, like, fears of, like, if there's a monster under your bed or like fears of like statues, scary statues. Yeah. I think that's what uh, Doctor, when Doctor Who's at its best is when it makes everyday things terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was I going to say here? Okay, so earlier I mentioned that I noticed a few callbacks, uh, not a few callbacks, but a few things that are going to echo through Moffat's story. Um, so when when the when the doctor notices the clock's broken, but he can still hear the ticking noise, he knows something's wrong. In the empty child, he oh sorry about that. In the empty child, the tape deck runs out, but he can still hear the empty child saying, "Are you my mummy?" Mm. In I think it's the first in the eleventh hour, he see the, the, the they're in a room and there's a door that's never been opened. If there's a, and then in the Lodger episode with um, James Corden, there's a hall upstairs to the house that shouldn't actually be there. He seems to play around with things being so obvious that you wouldn't notice them being wrong. Although I'm pretty sure uh, the Lodger episode wasn't 
Moffat that was written by Gavareth Roberts. You're right there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, his, there just seems to be that element of something just not quite being right. Yeah, that kind of little slightly unnervingness about it. Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. Um, I noticed a much more simple callback, which was bananas are good. I <laughs> that did was pick up on that, yes. I picked up on. Yeah, when's that? That's the knife toss. Is it with Jack? Yeah. How does that? What? What well, is that? The ninth doctor says that bananas are good and they should, but because they're a good source of potassium, and I think he used them to get them out of the sitch. And the tenth yeah. doctor, the tenth, yeah, and the tenth doctor thinks that you should says you should always bring a banana to the to a party. He doesn't give any context <laughs> beyond that, so I don't. Maybe that's not worth thinking into. <laughs> this is a really good 10th Doctor episode, I feel. He gets a lot of play in this. I really like the scene yeah. where he tells Madame de Pompadour that even monsters have nightmares, and she asks what the monsters have nightmares about, and he says, me. And then he spins the clock, he spins the fireplace around, and he disappears. Yeah, that's another kind of trope of Moffat's that you see a lot in his series, of the whole kind of talking of the doctor in quite the, with that certain grandeur you know um everyone's Mavdum de Pompadour speaks very very highly of the doctor as this kind of mythical larger life character which to her he is he's this mysterious figure who pops in and out of her life so it kind of makes sense that she kind of regards him in this way as this kind of um, almost omnipotent all-powerful being yeah um, I really like the scene as well where he sees where he takes the head off the clockwork droid and he's looking at the space age clockwork. It really reminded me of when he sees the werewolf and he is just amazed at the creation that he's seeing rather than its danger. That seems to be something no, that, I love that Doctor bit. really sort of plays around with is the fact that the knife Doctor there was that element that he really enjoyed space and alien life, but this Doctor is much more vocal about his enjoyment of being who he is. Yeah, I think that's part of the Tenet Doctor's appeal, that he has that really contagious enthusiasm about mm-hmm. things. Um, another callback to a Moffat thing, not a callback, call forward, is um, Madame de Pompadour describes the Doctor as her imaginary friend, which when we get to Amy Pond, mm-hmm. uh, the Doctor is her imaginary friend. So he, he there's a, I think this episode is almost mo- every egg Moffat has ever owned being placed into one yeah. basket. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's why this episode doesn't sit right with me. Because while I like the Moffat era, I think there are a lot of elements of it that I'm less keen on compared Mm. to the Russell era. And I think maybe this episode I couldn't help but think of those, and it kind of reminded me of in what what in some cases are my least favorite aspects Mm. of Moffat's future writing. Yeah, no, I agree. One thing that always used to catch me out with this episode as a kid was the fact that it always took me a long time to see past the fact that Lady Penelope is Madame de Pompadour. Mm. Are you familiar is, with is my reference? Penelope just... Pardon? Lady Penelope in, in the 2002 Thunderbears movie is played by Sophie Miles, who also plays Madame de Pompadour in The Girl in the Fireplace. Wait, the... 2002 Thunderbirds. The, the live action Thunderbirds movie. 
Yeah, no, no, I know the movie. I know the movie. Like, wait, who in that? Lady Penelope is Sophie, is um, Madame de Pompadour. Lady Penelope, is that right? Yeah, the, the lady. Uh, no, 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 I, I, can, I can just about remember. Sorry, I've only seen Thunderbirds once, oh. which is probably more times than you need to see. It's such a good movie. Go watch Thunderbirds. It's got a banging soundtrack by Busted. Everyone should go and it watch is, that movie. You say a banging it's one good song. There's it's one... good, and it's a good movie. It's got Bill Paxton in it. It's got Ben Kingsley in it. Got loads of great Thunderbirds people. Get, Thunderbirds I Go is a jam. It's a bop. Like I listen to that any time, but there's the movie. I can't advocate the Thunderbirds movie. I'm sorry. It's a good movie. Don't listen to Harry. He doesn't like Girl in the Fireplace. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, anyway, I don't dislike. <laughs> the Doctor is instantly in love when he sees Madame de Pompadour. As soon as he finds out who she actually is. There's that look in his eye where he just suddenly falls in love with this woman. And I don't think yeah. we've seen that before. Well, except for, you know, Rose. Although he seems to have all but forgotten about Rose in this episode. Well, yeah, this is what I was going to say. When he finds out he's trapped in century, um, 51st century France, he doesn't give a shit about Rose and Mickey, who he's just left abandoned on this spaceship. 3,000 mm. years in the future. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting take. It's <laughs> a, I find it baffling. It's kind of, for me, that seems slightly out of character because I feel like it's made quite abundantly clear that the temp, in all of the episodes that the Tenth Doctor is very much in love with Rose. So for this episode, for him to really give very little of a monkey's about her... Mind your language, Harry. I'm sorry. Uh, Very little of a chimpanzee about her. Um, (laughs) Whilst we're talking of apes, um, did you pick up on the line where the Doctor says, not wandering off, which is sort of a callback to Eccleston, where he says, one day I'll meet someone who gets a whole not wandering off thing? What's that got to do with apes? Oh, he called Rose an ape. What, yep. <laughs> Probably a stupid, another stupid ape. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we, we, we would have to talk about the, the, the huge snog between Madame de Pompadour and the Tenth Doctor. A- anytime mm. the Doctor kisses anybody, it's controversial. And I watched in Confidential where Stephen Moffat said, he said... I can completely understand why people would get upset by this because it never in history did Madame de Pompadour kiss an alien. <laughs> okay, I got to respect more. I, that's, that's funny from that. <laughs> so, but it is true, isn't it? The Doctor does just go around kiss, especially the tenth Doctor. He's such a swaggy, charismatic, hopeless, romantic person, isn't he? That. Yeah. You don't really question it. And I know I didn't when I was this, mainly because he's not the one who initiates it. She does. Yeah. And I think he's especially very kind of dashing and heroic in this episode. You know, he's wearing that suit. He's run about. He like smashes through uh, the mirror on a horse. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the horse scene. Um, it's great, it's isn't it? The horse scene. Of him smashing through. Yeah, of him smashing through oh, yeah. the window. It's great. I was watching on Confidential, they were talking about they were going to film it for real, like this horse jumps through a hole in the wall or whatever. 
And then like two days before they found out they weren't actually allowed to have the horse in the ballroom. So they had to scrap the full scene. And the whole scene wasn't going to be in the episode. And Judy Gardner, the producer, phoned up Stephen to tell him it wasn't going to be in the episode. And apparently he just started crying on the other side of the throne, on the other side of the phone for a bit of a tantrum. And then in the end they went, okay, we best do it. And apparently, I mean, it if was... they got what he wanted, exactly. And apparently, yeah. it was extremely expensive because they had to, they had to film everybody in the hall reacting to nothing, then film a blue screen window exploding, then book out a stable, paint everything green, film David Tennant on a horse, and film a stunt double on a horse. So it, that was like five additional shooting days that they suddenly had on their schedule because Stephen Moffat really wanted <laughs> to have the Doctor on a horse. Well, it made for a cool visual. It did. Um, Russell said, he said, it's great, but it's something he never wrote because it's important for... He says, there's when a writer becomes too connected to the actual production, you start writing about what you know can actually be filmed. Russell said he yeah. would never have wrote that because he knew they wouldn't be able to film it, which he said works sometimes, but it also limits your storytelling ability, whereas because Stephen's not in charge of budget and he doesn't know that... He just writes what he wants. That's interesting to think about because it feels like that almost carried on over into when Stephen Moffat was showing up. I feel like the stories generally with in the Moffat era were much more willing to go to higher concept places to be more ambitious, more flashy. Yeah. And that is something I do appreciate about the Moffat era. And I, I guess it's quite admirable that even though he was the one calling the shots and he was the one the head of production and show running he didn't let that get in the way of his creative vision oh no not at all um is it me or was the doctor really rubbish at hiding behind that wall which wall the wall where he's where madame de pomodoro's walking in the garden with her friend and the 10th doctor just keeps popping up behind and every time she turns around you can clearly see that he's hiding behind the wall because you can see his legs (laughs) Does he even want to hide, though? I don't know. I feel like it's that I'm going to, I'm going to what, hope she knows that I know she's not looking sort of thing. Mm. It's that sort of endless mind game. Yeah. Um, the Doctor dances. That sort of gets a call back with um, Lady Lady Penelope, with Madame de Pompadour asking the Doctor if she would dance with him. Is that mm. just Stephen Moffat's curd word for sex? Is that what he's doing now? Yes, yes, yes. it is. Yeah. I'm not... Yeah, I'm not even gonna like try and hide it. That that's entirely what Moffat's getting at. Yeah. There was a scene where I thought, oh, we're getting quite close to seeing the Doctor have sex with someone here, and it's when he went at the end when Madame de Pompadour walks here, walks him into her bedroom, and the only thing that stops it stops anything happening is the fact that the fireplace is in there. Yeah, I think it's quite bold for Moffat to go that far to suggest that something like that would even enter the Doctor's mind. Okay, this is going to be weird. Um, I'm fine with the Doctor, like, snogging people, but for some reason, mentally, I draw the line out of the Doctor getting more intimate than that. Yeah, but I I think (laughs) also, yeah, maybe because he's the hero, isn't he? You don't never, you never think of him like that in the same way you never think of Batman in that way. You never think of... Yeah, I feel like it's easy. It makes sense for Batman to do the do, do the dance. <laughs> um, 
Also, Doctor Who's, let's face it, it's a kid's show, isn't it? So they're never going to go that far. Yeah, it's a family show as well. So maybe yeah. there's something where Batman can appeal to a variety of ages. Something yeah. about the family-friendly Doctor Who doing the dance <laughs> doesn't sit right with me. <laughs> I also like the scene where Mickey asks the Doctor, he says, what's a horse doing on a spaceship? And the Doctor says, rather, says, what's 51st century France doing on a spaceship, Mickey? Get your priorities straight. <laughs> But when yeah, you think I mean, about it, that makes the fact that a horse is there is more raises more questions than 51st century France because that's so far removed. But a, a horse from Earth on a spaceship is more, I would ask more questions about that. Yeah. Um, I think, go on. I think the fact that kind of the 15th century France was always like through a doorway or a window. Whereas the horse was like just right there, occupying the same space as them. It kind yeah. of made it a bit more <laughs> disconcerting. Yeah. Um, the Drunk Doctor. That's great, isn't it? David Tennant's drunk. That's a fun scene. How That's long has he scene. gone for, or how quickly does he get drunk? I feel like he must have been a whole... He must have been stayed there for the whole party. He, he must have been there a while, or just got smashed. But again... He didn't think about Rose or Mickey while he was getting drunk. He didn't think, oh, I best go look after my friends. Something could have happened to them. He's like, oh, I'll just stay here and get pissed. I, I guess to him, because like time was passing really slowly in the past, if, by the time he got back, barely any time will have passed, to him at yeah. least. I like the bit where he just goes, he calls them thick, and then he goes, and so's your dad. <laughs> <laughs> Such a juvenile response, but it, it is, isn't it? It, it works. Um, like it's, the episode is funny, but there is a scene, there's a couple of scenes in it that are quite moving scenes. One scene in particular where Madame de Pompadour hears the screams and she knows it's going to be from her future, but they she can't... That's... Go for it. I don't know, so I was just going to say that that's just a really cool moment, and it's a really effective way of using time travel, not just for cool storytelling, but also to kind of have that kind of emotional beat. Without time travel... As yeah. a plot device, you wouldn't be able to have that moment. And it looks cool as well, seeing someone in those period costumes on a futuristic set. The juxtaposition between the two is just in, is just interesting and appealing in itself. Yeah. Can't but wish, uh, make you think, do you wish that New Who would have like a companion from a time period that isn't modern day? Well, they used to do that, Cause... didn't they? Like, he had Romana yeah. and... And Jamie. Yeah, Jamie. Yeah, so I think it would. I think it would be fun. We haven't had we. No, we haven't had anything like that. Yeah. I don't know where Nardole's from. I think he's from the future somewhere. But so this is, is kind of the. I think this is the first time, or one of the first times in New Who that um, there's been an open invitation from someone who isn't from present day to come traveling on the TARDIS with the Doctor. Just trying to think. What did we have? I feel like... Oh, uh, no. What about uh, the the girl in the two-part finale of Series 1? B-Tech Rose. Who oh, yeah, but she's from, she's from the future. Yeah. yeah, so she's from the future. Yeah, but you're right. Nobody from the past ever really gets invited yeah. to come and join them. They get teased yeah. with stuff, don't they? Like, they maybe get to see the TARDIS fly off, but they don't actually get invited. What this made me think of this time actually was going back to kind of Moffat call forwards. Um, is that 
And that reminded me a lot of um, the, uh, was it called The Snowmen, the Christmas special with Matt Smith? Yeah. Where we meet the um, the Victorian era Clara. Yeah. And that she was going to go traveling with the Doctor, but then she also died. But she died of Snowman instead of dying of age. But what about Rose? I thought Rose and the Doctor were, were traveled forever. Oh, um, no, sorry, ignore me. Um, I was thinking of a different show. Um, oh, okay. I was thinking he, of Professor Watts. Um, oh, yeah. he, he's, 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 he's a different show with Matt Smith. Um, <laughs> Matt Smith has never been on Doctor Who, oh. so, yeah. I, I really like, when I was watching this, I sort of came up with the idea that I'd really like to see a what-if series of Doctor Who, where it said, what if she, what if she travelled with the Doctor? What if the Doctor stayed there? What if he'd never met? What if he didn't do this? What if she didn't do that? And just sort of play out different scenarios of what could have been. I think that'd be really interesting. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many, like, massive things that happen in just any Doctor Who episode that you could take pretty much any Doctor Who episode and make a whole what-if scenario about it. Yeah, that's probably true, though. Um, He doesn't really learn about the fact that the fireplace has a different time zone, does he, when he's like... Wait there, I'll come back, pack your bags at the end of the episode. I was sort of like, oh, you're an idiot. How have you not worked this out yet? Yeah. I mean, and I guess by doing that, he wouldn't then be able to go back to before she died in TARDIS because that would have created like one of those Father's Day style rifts. That's true. But I feel like Rose has worked that out because the camera cuts to Rose and she looks quite sad and I thought we well, could have a read it that she's jealous or that she knows that this isn't going to end well and I think it's yeah. that one because when they then go into the TARDIS they don't ask where she is yeah they can yeah, see yeah she set... kind of that yeah. out yeah yeah, yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the relationship between Rose and Madame de Pompadour in this episode because kind of it starts good. with something resembling jealousy but it doesn't feel like for a big chunk of the episode it isn't really a jealousy thing it's definitely or at least not in the same way that it was with Sarah Jane. No, because I feel like Rose sort of knows that this isn't going to end well from the very start, so she's just trying to protect both of them while she can. Mm. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the episode. I thought it was really good. I thought it was a good fun episode. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because to about now, there were a lot of really great moments in the episode. There were lots of scenes, bits, pieces of dialogue, ideas that I think are all great. Yeah. Just for some reason, when I think of the episode as a whole package, it just leaves me feeling. I don't know. Yeah. It's a really weird one for me. I can't articulate it. I can't articulate why I feel this way about the episode. And it's not dislike, not dislike by any means. No. Well, I probably... Sorry, go on. Maybe it's like, for me, it's just a little bit too much being fit into a 40 minute episode. Maybe. I think especially compared to Empty Child and Doctor Dances, which really benefited from having a being a two part and having that double runtime. Yeah. Maybe this was a double feature and they fleshed all these ideas out a bit more and it didn't go by so fast I would like it more. Maybe yeah. that's the only thing I can think of. Well I put it out on our Instagram page and um, bigger on the pod, go and give us a follow. I put out what people thought about Girl in the Fireplace and uh read some people's thoughts out here. Um, Sal, oh God's sake, Sam Lanter said it's a classic nostalgic episode. It's great. Tardis Girl X, um, nine out of ten. Love the spinny fireplace. Alex Pierce two said it's fantastic. 
And what else do we have? Victor Deforce K said it's not bad. <laughs> not bad. Not bad. So it's not bad. I, I can buy with that. I can buy with that. It's definitely <laughs> not bad. It's definitely not bad. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it, Harry? Oh, well, we know, don't we? Generally. Generally. I'll tell you what, what Harry does enjoy, though. Harry enjoys a bloody good quiz. Oh, yeah. That theme song never gets old. <laughs> Three questions, as always. Um, okay, question number one. At the start of the episode, what food can the Doctor, Rose and Mickey smell? Roast dinner. I'll give you that. They say Sunday roast, but I'll give you roast dinner. Are you getting arrested? I can hear an ambulance or a police car. I think it's something on the street down below. As opposed to the street up high. Well, it's because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a high floor in my building. What year, when the Doctor first talks to young Madame de Pompadour through the fireplace, the very first time, what year does she say she's in? I'm going to say... 1517. 1727, I'm afraid. Let's see if you can get two out of three here. What drink does the Doctor claim to have invented? Oh, I missed that. I missed that. Um, this is such a big thing. Everybody knows this. I can't believe you missed this. It's so obvious. I, I don't know. Is it like wine or something? The banana daiquiri. Of course, bananas are good. Oh, it's, uh, I picked that and I thought, he's going to know that. I picked three really easy questions. One out of three. You Why suck. is like the year an easy question? Because it's the year the episode is set in, Harry. <laughs> the first scene of the episode. <laughs> do you want to recommend the some stuff? The episode takes place all kinds of years. That's true. Do you want to recommend some stuff? Before I go, I just want to tell you, you were fantastic. Uh, yeah, recommendations. Oof. I'll go first. Um, I'm going to recommend the Amazon Prime series, um, Oh Cook, which is James May's new cookery program. Um, at first, I thought this is just going to be quite funny, but it's actually quite good. And um, there's been some stuff that he's that he's cooked that I've actually thought, oh, that's not too bad. Up to the point where, if I can quickly get it, I bought the cookbook. That goes along with the series. There's some quite oh, good God. recipes in here. Um, what can I have? What can I find in here quickly to show everybody? Um, minestrone, a nice store cupboard saviors. Um, Victoria sponge cake, jam roly pearly. What else do we have? Curry nights. Uh, ratatouille, chili con carne, fish pie. Um, just lots of fun little things in there that he seems to really like strip a lot of stuff down. You know, when you watch Jamie Oliver and he's like, this is going to be made of everything that you have in your cupboard, but it never is. James May makes stuff with like tins of leftover tuna and spam and crackers and Walker's crisps and things like that. So it's really good. Definitely recommend checking that out, especially as a student as well. How about you, Harry? What do you have as a suggestion? Right, I have a recommendation um, for, like, I feel like you might roll your eyes. Um, it, it's an anime, but it, it, 
No, I don't like I don't like most animes. For me, I'm quite a I have quite Western tastes in media. So I like this anime. Like, pardon? You love cowboys, Wild West cowboys. <laughs> yeah, I'm very much about yeehaw, rooting, tooting, shooting. He always wears those um, cowboy boots as well. Whenever he walks, he's clanking around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to recommend uh, Death Note. Um, I What's don't Death have Note? Seen it. I haven't. Oh, I've not uh, even heard of it. I'm going to Google it while you speak. It's. Um, well, the best way to describe it is it's a supernatural um, psychological crime thriller. A high school um, student discovers a supernatural notebook that grants its utter uh, that grants its user the ability to kill. Yeah, it's cool. It's about this kid who gets a notebook where if he writes the name of anyone in it, they die. So he decides to write the name of all criminals of the world in it and kind of become this kind of god who kind of makes the world a better place. But mm-hmm. then uh, the world's greatest detective um, who goes by the name of L to protect his identity, finds out, well, doesn't find out, but has a suspicion that all these random deaths are murder. And so this whole psychological cat and mouse thing goes on between them. And it's just this kind of really cool kind of game of wits of one-upmanship. Um, if you're not into anime, don't let the fact there's an anime put you off because I'm not into anime and it's really cool, really smart, really well written, really well plotted, and it keeps some, kind of um, building and building and building. It's got some good, um, good reviews as well. Oh yeah, I think in Japan it's like the highest rated anime in Japan. Is there only um, the one series? Um, I think kind of it. Yeah, it's just one series, and it's kind of it's some people split it into two series, but I think it's all one continuous story because it's based on a manga. Okay. And a manga has a quite a definitive end point, and it wouldn't really make sense to continue the story beyond where it ends. Yeah, it's on Netflix here in the UK, so I've just added that yeah. to my list. So I'll try that's one of the reasons I recommended it because yeah. a lot of the shows I often recommend are on something like Now TV or Amazon Prime that less people have, but Netflix. I know a lot of people have Netflix, so yes, yeah, cool. Check Thanks. this out and make sure you watch. The anime and not the live action movie because the live action Netflix original movie that was made is not the same thing no. and will massively tarnish your impression of what Death Note is. Yeah, that's true. I did. It did come up as I typed it in. There was the two options, but I made sure I added the anime. Mm. Um, well, thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll wrap this up. If you want to give us a follow on Twitter, you can at bigger on the pod. YouTube, Big on the Inside podcast, acastshows.acast.com forward slash Big on the Inside. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Email the show, biggeronthesidepod at gmail.com. We'll try and read your emails out on the show. We're on Instagram as well, Bigger on the Pod on Instagram, where we do a lot more. Um, there's a lot of fun memes over there, some clips from the episodes, and also when I want to get your opinions on some episodes super soon before we record them, I'll usually put them on there. So go and check that out as well. Do you think they should do all that as well, Harry? Absolutely. All of those things. Cool. I, I do those every day. You do? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I follow at the end of the day just so I can follow again the next day. That's true. Maybe don't unfollow, but maybe just keep liking. Okay. I mean, that doesn't sound quite as exciting. Yeah, but I'm but talking sure. about our listeners who might actually have a life and they might forget to refollow in the morning. Oh. Uh, 
you're not like every person, Harry. We've had this discussion before. Not everybody's like you. All right. No, I just, know. just try and remember yeah. it. All right. We're talking to people. Harry, I, right? I, I know my place. I know all my right, place. So we're I'm gonna, sorry. We're going to close the episode now. Oh, so you're going to you're going to be you're going to be good again while we end the episode. You can do your thing like you always do every week, where you shout really loud. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, everybody, thank you very much for listening to Big On the Inside, the new Doctor Who Watchdog podcast. We'll be back next week for a two-part episode, The Age of Steel and Rise of the Cybermen. Uh, so come join us for that. Do everything we've already said. Thanks very much for listening. I'll say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Harry, do you want to say goodbye? Goodbye. Oh, that was a loud. Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.